Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. It's Kevin, and I hope your 2020, both as a year and as a decade of difference, are off to a great start. Today's conversation may come at the perfect time for you, regardless of whether your year is off to an amazing start, and perhaps especially if you already feel stuck or stalled in the starting gates. Today, we welcome one of my newer friends, Rachel Druckenmiller, to the podcast for this episode, number 130. In one way, it builds on the conversation I had with Debbie Lachusa three episodes back in number 127, Living an Inspired Life. In another way, it builds on the conversation I had with you about belonging back in episode 116. But then again, this conversation breaks all kinds of new ground in its own right. About Rachel. Our paths crossed a few months back when she began attending the Humans First Hangouts I host on Friday. And then, a few weeks ago, our mutual friend, Jane Adshead Grant, whom you may recall from episode 117 on listening, suggested I invite Rachel to join me for a conversation here. Well, I listened. So thank you, Jane. I'm so glad you suggested Rachel and I get to know one another and explore having a conversation, and I trust that you will be glad as well after you hear this conversation. So here we go with Rachel. Well, Rachel Druckenmiller, thank you so much for joining me on the Higher Purpose Podcast today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Kevin. I've been looking forward to it. Oh, me too, Rachel. And I just believe as we get started here that this conversation promises to be inspiring, enjoyable, and it might even be a bit challenging, Mm -hmm. and it might be controversial for some of you that are listening. So I say that to kind of perk your ears up and get you to lean in and listen here. (laughs) We're not trying to be controversial. We just know that what we're talking about today comes out of our journeys, and we've gone through this and landed at a different place. But before we go there, Rachel, Two things. One, I want to thank Jane Adshead Grant for actually suggesting that the two of us explore podcast conversations. So thank you, Jane. Yes. Thank you, Jane. (laughs) And then you listening, you know that I always seek to ground our conversations here in the good soil of gratitude. So Rachel, what is something you're grateful for in this moment that you and I are connecting? Say, I am grateful for actually, it's kind of a tangible thing, but I'm wearing this scarf that's like all peacock colors. So I love peacocks. And my friend Bree, we live in different states and we will periodically send each other gifts, like just packages of things that are really relevant to the person. So she is an amazing seamstress. She created this beautiful scarf and sent it to me last week, along with a couple other things that are really specific to kind of our friendship. And so I'm literally being warmed by it right now. And it just makes me happy and kind of feel all all wrapped up. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So that's beautiful in multiple ways. One, it's beautiful that you have such a rich friendship to Mm -hmm. share. 
and that you all are so thoughtful in the way you express that to one another. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so Rachel, you may be a new person to a lot of people here. And I know that you're a speaker. You were just away mm -hmm. speaking as a speaker. You get introduced in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those are ways that we help people introduce us. Sometimes people introduce us and we're eyes are rolling. Like, where did you get that? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Saturday I did a project and I'm not even sure where they found this bio. They associated <laughs> with a group that I haven't done work with in years, but they found a bio on their website and said, oh, you want to know about Kevin? Here's where you find out about Kevin. I'm like, what? Anyway, <laughs> what's something you'd like those listening to know about you that helps us connect with you, Rachel? You know, I'd say that's something I've been adding into my bio when I do get introduced and that it's the relationship that I have with my husband and how much he is such a part of what I do and my ability to do it and to really ground me. And so we're college sweethearts <laughs> and we met through music. So sometimes something like that might get thrown in, but just for people to know right out of the gate, right off the bat, that he's my person and he's really special to me and that we do some work together actually with couples and teaching them communication. So just that kind of the work that I'm focusing on and how I really see kind of how I show up and how that matters is that it's going to help people at work and at home. And so just tying in that connection. Yes. And that's one of the things I love. And one of the reasons we're having this conversation on the podcast, you listening, you know, we talk about business leadership and life. The mm -hmm. things we talk about here do make us better in business, make, make you better as a leader, but it also makes you better at life, yeah. at life with your family, life with your partner. So mm -hmm. life as a parent, all of that. Awesome. Context for this conversation. I'm just trying to figure out and even struggling a bit here. So I'm just going to ask it like this. Give us the yeah. background. When did you get hooked on the highway of hustle? I got hooked in the highway of hustle when I was very small. So I've always been an overachiever, like the kid. When I was in grade school, we had this program with Pizza Hut called Book It. And so you got these like coupons for all the books that you read. And so I was the kid that loved to get gold stars. I loved to get stickers on my paper. I loved to win my Book It awards. And so I learned from a really young age. I mean, I would say probably, honestly, kindergarten, as soon as school started, <laughs> that, <laughs> that I could be successful at school. And once you figure that out, it's like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing this. And then I just carried that into my career. So from the time I started school, I would say I have kind of been <laughs> on the highway to hustle. Wow. Wow. So I'm even pausing, Rachel, I didn't know how you were going to answer that. And I would have to say the same applies to me. I mean, I've never really thought about it in that way, but it does. It starts really early where approval is dangled for us as a carrot and it's a reward for performance, Yes, which started us performing. Yeah. Yeah. So talk more about that. And when did you start realizing the other, for context, you've just had an article published about hustle mm -hmm. and what to do instead of hustling, which really is what intrigued me and frames this conversation. But when did you start realizing it was hustle that you were doing? I think probably if I look back on it, almost in high school, like even in middle school, I was the kid that would type up all of my notes for a class 
even though I had perfectly good notes that I'd written in class, I would type up a study guide for every single class. And I determined that if I did not do that, that I would not get an A plus on the test. Like that part of the contingency plan for me performing really well was me basically doing extra work. So you might have gotten an A or an A minus without it? No. <laughs> the fear was that. <laughs> I'm just the fact was I may not get an A plus. I may drop down to an A. How yeah. horrible is that? <laughs> I mean, I guess an A was fine, but we tell ourselves these stories and we don't necessarily know where they come from. But I determined from a very young age hmm. that if it was easy that I was missing something. Hmm. That in order for me to do well, it hmm. had to be hard. Like it had to feel like work. I had to strive and strain and go above and beyond, or I wasn't cutting it. Okay, so I don't want to detract from your story. We can come back to it, but oh my gosh, Rachel, what you just tapped on is something that I know that a lot of people struggle with today, and I'll raise my hand and I'm saying I'm one of those, right? That it's not supposed to be easy. If it's easy, something's wrong. We just have this idea that if it's worthwhile, it's going to be hard, and if it's not hard enough, we're going to make it harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've got to create the guide. It's not enough just to ace the test. Mm -hmm. You had to say, here's what it takes for me to ace the test and make mm -hmm. it harder on yourself. Wow. What did that look like? Let's fast forward when you carried that over into work. I'd say... Carrying that over into work, for me, it was like this bar for excellence. That's how it translated. I translated that over to, I had to kind of like be the best. And if I was going to be the best, that meant that I had to like constantly prove myself to people and constantly show that, see, I know what I'm talking about. See, I'm legitimate. I would constantly be looking for ways to validate myself to people that I have this credential. I know what I'm talking about. That when we're insecure, we have this tendency to just like oversell ourselves <laughs> instead of just letting the work. And sometimes I would let the work speak for me, but other times when I'd get frustrated, I would feel the need to almost like push my way into people to show them and to prove mm -hmm. myself. So you stirred a thought there, and I've not really ever gone out to calculate this. I think I will. But I have said, and I believe this is true, that more money is traded on the insecurity exchange than the securities exchange <laughs> in a given year, right? And that means all of the things that we do, that we go out and get the certifications, get the classes, all of the things we do just in the desire to say we're good enough, that somebody says we're good enough. And we go, oh, but then we still have to prove it some more. Yes. Wow. Yes. And along those lines, there's a woman named Kristen Hadid, who actually does some work, knows Bob Chapman as well. We've talked about him before. And she's written a book called Permission to Screw Up. And hmm. I met her about three years ago. And we've stayed connected on Instagram, have met each other at other events we've been speaking at. And one of the things she wrote about in her book that really resonated with me was basically this idea that we think when we get the TED talk, or we think that when we publish the best-selling book, or that like when this thing happens, there's this contingency that we set up that when I have this success, then I will feel good enough. And then I will lay off. And then I will like pump the brakes. And 
And when did you stop that? So which one of those was the one that was enough, right? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) since we're being honest here, yeah, it's still something that can be a challenge in the sense that I feel like it's okay to want things that you don't have, to want experiences that you don't have, to dream about things, to imagine. So I think that it's important to, I guess, convey the message that there's nothing wrong with having aspirations. Right. Nothing at all. And it's important for us to do that. It gives us this kind of goal to work toward and something to challenge ourselves with. But when we tie our identity mm-hmm. and self-worth and sense of belonging to whether or not we've checked that box, it's a really, really dangerous place to be. Well, what I've discovered is the other part that's dangerous is if you are a box checker, what happens when you check that next box? You just replace it with another next Mm -hmm. box. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, yeah, I did a TEDx talk, but I've not been on the TED main stage. And I've only had 2 million people watch my TED talk and I need to be in the top 100, the top 50, the top 25, the top 20, the top 10. Oh, now I need to be the top. I mean, there's never an end to the box that needs to be checked. Oh, you've only done TED in one continent? There are other, (laughs) I mean, Rachel, that's what I realized. I started calling this back by September, I started calling this the will be win phenomenon. Mm-hmm. That if I recognize and believe that I will be blank, whatever that blank is, when something mm-hmm. happens, gosh, it's never going to happen because all we ever do is keep raising the bar or keep adding another box. So let me go back. We started in school. Mm-hmm. How well did it work for you mm-hmm. in the early years? I guess looking back, I felt like it was working in the sense that it gave me a sense of confidence and it gave me a feeling of competence. So I struggled to fit in with my peers growing up. So I went to Catholic school, very small Catholic school. I was not Catholic for one. And so I was immediately different. And I was with the same 27 kids for like eight years. And so because I struggled to fit in socially, I sort of subconsciously decided at a very young age that, oh, well, fine. If they're not going to accept me, I'll just win. Like, I'll just beat them. I'll just be better at them at school. And at least my teachers will then make me feel good about myself. And I had this inner drive to achieve anyway. And so part of it was it felt validating. But looking back, it was almost like I was compensating for how I didn't feel accepted. And I was almost thinking that achievement was going to lead to acceptance or that acceptance and love were on the other side of achievement. Yeah. Wow. And they weren't. (laughs) Oh yes. So when was it or what was it that led to your realization that this isn't working as well as you thought it might have been working for you? Well, it's interesting the timing of this conversation because it was almost exactly three years ago. I burned out. I had been pushing for a really long time. I even had entries in my journal. Like sometimes we know things are about to unravel before they do and we just are sort of in denial. And I had journal entries going back like two years before that that were saying things like, 
I can't continue at this pace. I need a break. I have to do something to kind of like slow this down. And so I ended up getting Epstein-Barr virus, which is an acute form of mono in the winter of 2017, got diagnosed with it. And I completely lost my voice for a period of time, which given the nature of what I do for work, which is speaking, that makes my job a little difficult. And I had to get really quiet. I had a friend reach out to me right before that happened and said, you know, I think there's something that you're supposed to hear, but that you have to get quiet enough in order to hear it. Because hmm. I'm always so kind of running around and busy, busy, busy. And when I literally got silenced, literally, all I could do is listen. And hmm. all I could do was notice because I didn't feel like I could contribute in the way that I felt comfortable contributing, which was speaking up and adding my two cents. And so I went through that experience and through that season, I had several friends and people that were in my life that weren't necessarily a close friend that just spoke some truth to me. And I started to realize that, wow, when I can do nothing for anyone, when I'm not impressing someone on a stage, when I'm not in some way proving myself to somebody or accomplishing something impressive, that I still have value. Mm as a person that like my presence, regardless of what I'm doing, that my presence alone, the being there for someone in the midst of whatever they're going through to just be with someone that that was really all that most people ever really wanted from me anyway. So I had this experience of realizing and beginning to realize that the people who really loved me the most, that really truly knew me, did not care if I ever accomplished another thing. Wow. Hey, thank you, Rachel. I mean, this is an audio podcast. We record via Zoom. Maybe you hear Rachel being emotionally stirred. I see it here in Zoom. Wow. I wasn't thinking of introducing this in this conversation. I shared it with you the other day because our friend Jane that introduced us shared it with me. It's this whole idea of the cycle of grace, and it comes from a Swiss theologian, Dr. Emil Bruner and Frank Lake. And we'll post these diagrams in the show notes. But there's one circle. And if you think of this like a clock in the four quadrants of a clock in the nine to 12 is achievement. And then in the six to nine is significance. And then there's what I call identity. And then there's acceptance. Most of us, what you just shared, Rachel, is this journey that most of us have traveled, that we start with achievement. Achievement opens us up to significance. That Through that, we find our identity. And then that leads to acceptance. And when we take that path, what does it mean? It means that acceptance is always fragile, that belonging is always up for bargaining. Mm -hmm. Have I done enough to belong today? Have I done enough to earn your approval and acceptance of me now? 
And what Dr. Brunner suggests is what if you flip the circle and you started with acceptance because you are accepted, because you're just this phenomenal human being. You are good enough as you are, and that your acceptance leads to identity. That identity allows you to find significance, and out of all of that, we achieve and we do amazing things. Justin, when you were saying that, like I said, I hadn't even thought of this. These two cycles or circles came back, and I started thinking about this, the cycles, and how most of us go about it backwards. Yes. We just want to belong. We just want to be good enough to be a part of the club, the group, mm -hmm. and we punish ourselves mercilessly mm -hmm. to get something that really is a free gift. Yes. Say more about your journey here, Rachel. And even when we started talking about this last week, when we went deep into this conversation, mm -hmm. what would it look like to have a podcast conversation? I mean, when you shared that with me, it's funny because we were just going through this conversation organically and you're like, oh, there's like a chart that like kind of reflects what we're, our discussion. And what I realized in the midst of this, so I had gone through an experience called Immunity to Change in the midst of this process. It's like an amazing book, right? And my friend Rosie Ward was kind of going through and getting trained and so she had gone through and used me as one of her coaches. And what I came to realize at the end of that experience was that I needed to show myself examples. I had to sort of test my assumption that my acceptance and belonging were contingent on achievement. Mm. And so I had to do that by looking for scenarios in my life and creating experiences where I was accepted and the achievement factor wasn't part of the equation. Mm. And so it might be something like I'd go for a walk on a trail with the girlfriend for two hours and I wasn't achieving anything, but I was being with her and I left that time and I felt so filled up. Or I'd have a phone call with the friend and we would just talk about what was going on in our lives and it wasn't to impress and we were just sort of taking our masks off and our armor off. And I started to see these situations where, you know what, like when I show up vulnerably, because what I really got out of that experience of burning out was that I had to stop pretending like I had it all together because that's what I was doing. That's one of the things that led me to burnout was I didn't want anyone to see like the crumbling castle behind that really strong wall. And I started to let people in and I started to open up and I started to ask for help. And I think when we do that, when we start to let people in, we start to ask for help, we start to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can we talk today? Or that people want us to do that. That's how we connect. And so what I started to find acceptance through vulnerability, because what I realized is that people wanted to connect, but because I had put up this sort of perfectionistic front, I was too scared to really let people in and see all the things that were kind of messy. Wow. Mm. And I will say, as you know, I started, I went out on my own to launch my own business in September. And I will say that what gave me the most confidence to do that was the shift in belief that for so long, I thought that if I go out on my own, I will be alone. Hmm. 
And over the past year, three years in particular, I'd say through this transition, I became so certain that I was not going to be alone, that I was so grounded in community, that I was so grounded in acceptance, that I was so grounded in support because I had let people in and because I had taken initiative and been intentional with them instead of being so consumed with myself, that that was the foundation that I had to have there in order to stand on so that I could do this and know that I'd be okay. Okay, Rachel, I mean, you see me smile. I'm just kind of marveling. This conversation has gone way different than I imagined, and I'm loving every moment of it. Okay, while we're here, I'm going to climb out a little further on a skinny limb, which is dangerous, but (laughs) what you're talking about is a word that so many people use today that I'm just going to invite all of you listening to think about. If you consider yourself a solopreneur, I want to ask you to think about that word. You know, I heard that word, first heard that word, I don't know, four, five, six, seven years ago. And would, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. I'm, you know, I'm a solopreneur. And, And there were times I adopted it. I've now realized that at least From my perspective, from where I sit and where I look at the world, that is a horrible word. Now, I don't want to judge or criticize anybody that's saying that. Solopreneur, here's what I would say. It may describe your business structure or how you think of yourself in terms of tax reporting, right? You have no employees. You are a sole proprietor of your business. You are a one-person operation. But none of us, none of us, can make any impact on anybody else in isolation. We can't be alone because if we are alone, we end up lonely, right? So even if you work by yourself, you have to find a way to connect with other people. And wow, isn't it beautiful when that belonging can be based on something other than your achievement? So you can't (laughs) lose it with the, the fact that you belong. Oh, Rachel, where do you want to go with this? I've got a question for you, but what's on your heart right now? What's stirring? You know, I think that sometimes that we wait when it comes to belonging for so long, I waited to be invited to the party. Hmm. Like I would sit back on my birthday, even in particular for years and be like, like I have a pity party. No one's inviting me to anything. No one's planning a lunch for me. You know, like kind of feel sorry for myself. And I started to realize I started to have this mental shift about three years ago and focus on what are the things that I love to do. So maybe for my, give that example of birthday, maybe it's dance and go have brunch, right? There's this cool dance studio nearby. So I started thinking, okay, start from a place of joy. What brings me joy? And then invite people into that joy. Mm. And so I think starting off, instead of like sitting back and waiting for just everything to come to us that sometimes if you hear about someone you think gosh what they're doing sounds really interesting it's not hustling to reach out to them to have a conversation that's just a smart thing to do because there's probably a reason why that person was brought into your sphere of being right and same goes with relationships and connections whether it's their business or whether it's nothing to do with work at all but strictly personal that we would be more intentional about taking the initiative Mm. to either join or create the types of communities that we want to be a part of. 
I want to ask you, I'm just enjoying this listening. Unpack for us. I just heard a difference. There's a difference between initiation, invitation, and hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about those. So I think the hustle piece, it always feels like it is so draining. It's like you're pushing yourself. This is the thing that I should do. I think hustling is often connected to the word should. Mm-hmm. Like this is the thing I should do. I'm supposed to be doing this, right? But when I think of invitation or just initiation, I think of these situations that are like, I want to do this, or I'm curious about this, or I'm interested in this. Like there's a draw, there's like a pulling toward as a pushing into, as opposed to a pushing into. That's how I guess, I've never actually thought about that question before, but in the moment, that's kind of what comes up for me. Well, there's something without initiation, we're just kind of sitting, like you said, waiting Mm -hmm. to be invited to the party. So there's nothing wrong with feeling an inspiration Mm -hmm. to initiate something and extending an invitation. To me, where the hustle kicks in is when I'm kind of like, it's not enough to invite. All of a sudden, I rent a billboard in front of your office (laughs) to make sure you saw my invitation. And I'm up screaming, shouting, see me, see me, see me, except my invitation. Did you get it? Did you get it right? That kind of crazy thing. That's uh-huh. so, <laughs> you've done that? <laughs> well, I've seen it done. I've been on the receiving end. Like if someone's reached out on a message too, right? And just been like, oh, I want to talk to you. I haven't heard back or I just want to hear back. I'm like, that is annoying. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. Wow. Wonder what it would be like to have a conversation with that person. Maybe there's something I have in the world of business that would be helpful to them. Yes. That's not what I would call the hustle. No. And that's not trying to make it happen. It's just being aware of something and then kind of knocking on the door to see if they open the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when the door's open, then you step in and then amazing things happen. There's so much, as I was listening to you and reading your article, there's so much that ties to the conversation I had three podcasts to go with Debbie Lachusa about living this inspired life mm-hmm. and just showing up for what shows up for you and responding to the inspiration. But there's a huge difference between responding to invitation and inspiration and the hustle and grind. Yes. Yes. There's a book that I came upon a few years ago called The Desire Map. There's two books, The Desire Map and The Firestarter Sessions by Danielle Laporte. Okay. So one of the questions in the book is something like, what feels easy to you? So like, when does it feel easy? Notice that. What do other people thank you for? Notice that. Like, that's your genius. And when I think of ease and I think of what the things people naturally thank us for, those are almost like these outpourings of these overflows of who we are as opposed to exertion. It's an overflow versus an exertion. Yeah. Okay. So talk about something I want to ask. What were your old mindset and mantras that you had? Mm -hmm. And then what are some of the new mindsets and mantras that you have? Hmm. I'd say the first one would be that if it's not hard, it's not worth doing, or if it's not overly complicated, then you won't be successful. Old belief. Crippling belief, honestly. Old belief would be that I have to be impressive in order to be accepted. Mm. That 
the old belief, I'm going to miss out. Like, what if I miss out? If I don't do this, I'm going to miss it, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> those are, wow. I would say, a few that come to mind. What was it living like that for you? Gosh, exhausting. I burned out. I mean, yeah. literally, like the candle gone, you know, just <laughs> the light inside me died. And it was tiring and it kind of felt like bondage. Like it felt like, in the sense of, it feels restrictive to live that way because when we're thinking those things, we don't feel free. We don't feel alive. Mm. It should. You used the word earlier, should. There's not the liberty to respond. There's just the burden to should. Yes, yes. It's like the burden to react as opposed to liberty to respond, right? So what are your new mindsets, beliefs, and mantras now? <sighs> new ones. I would say that... Okay, I got to interrupt. There was just a shift in your face in just thinking of, I'm serious, Rachel. I just have to call that out. Maybe you hear it. I heard it and I saw it. And it's like, ah. <laughs> yeah, boom, night and day difference. So talk about it. But I just saw it happening <laughs> as you started thinking about ah, the new way. <laughs> I, so I guess a couple things come to mind. The first one that comes to mind is what is meant for you will not pass by you. Like Oprah was going to become Oprah, right? She wasn't going to screw it up and miss the boat. Mm. And I think sometimes we're like, if I don't do that one thing right, then I'm going to miss whatever my life's calling is. And it's like, mm. I don't believe that. If you're meant to do something in the course of your life, that all of these things will conspire to make it happen, despite how you might try to prevent it. I would say another belief is that no amount of achievement an accomplishment will ever fill the hole left by a lack of connection and belonging. Wow. Wow. Mm. And mm. so that, I feel that mm. too. Mm. I think we all want to feel that. I think we all want someone to like give us permission to feel that, but we don't need permission. Like we can choose to believe that. So Rachel, mm -hmm. I know that someone listening to our conversation right now knows that as well. But right now they know it because they are so, wrapped up in the hustle of achievement and accomplishment. And it will never bring connection and belonging. So what would you say to that person that's like, you're kidding me, right? I just thought that this would be the year that I would achieve enough and accomplish enough to get there. It, what, Rachel, you're saying it's not going to happen? <laughs> So, I would say to you as you're listening to this and wrestling with that, hearing that, that you were born to belong. Mm -hmm. 
This isn't something you had to will to be. This isn't inherent in who you are, is that you belong. Because you are here, you belong. Like the fact that you exist means that you were wanted in the world. And to, I find when I'm feeling like I'm struggling with these beliefs and when I want to go back to the old way, that I reach out to somebody who knows me. And so to reach out to someone who knows you, who doesn't necessarily care if you accomplish or achieve anything, if you're impressive, but to reach out to someone, maybe it's somebody from your past. Maybe it's somebody that you haven't talked to in a few years. Maybe it's someone that you live with. Maybe it's a friend that you've shared parts of your life with, but haven't really gone under the hood and really let them see all the things about you that aren't impressive on the surface, but are still worthy of acceptance and love Mm. that you would, take that step to put yourself out there and I imagine a flower to like open up it is so painful right that Anais I forget the quote about like remaining tight in the bud and how when we just kind of open ourselves up that that is so freeing and so I would just say give yourself some grace like there is such a need for who you are as a human for your presence, that has absolutely nothing to do with what you can accomplish or achieve. Wow. Okay, I'm watching our time. And Rachel, I want to ask this. You've burned out. You certainly seem to be renewed, restored, recharged. Mm-hmm. What's different? And how do you experience life differently mm-hmm. than then? it's funny that you should ask that because last night on Instagram, I had posted something about how excited I was for this week and all the different things that were happening. And when, if I look at the common thread, instead of before where it's like, again, what can I accomplish? I want to check all the boxes this week. I look at all the people I get to connect with this week. Mm -hmm. So people that I'm connecting with through a computer, people that I'm connecting with that I've only known through a computer that I'm meeting in person And for me, really creating and prioritizing social time. So going to dinner and a movie with my my parents, my husband and I are doing that tomorrow. Having our grandmother over for dinner on Thursday, Mm. babysitting for my sister on Saturday, like really intentionally building in multiple opportunities for meaningful human connection that has nothing to do with what I'm like accomplishing in the traditional sense of the word for work. I feel like I'm sort of embodying a bit of what my dad, who's like my Yoda and my just oh wise one. And he said, he decided a long time ago that it was more important to have an effective life than to have what most people would view as a successful life. Mm. And so I'm making different choices about my priorities and being more thoughtful in how I'm setting up my weeks so that I really make time for the people that mean the most to me. Wow. That's beautiful. Beautiful, Rachel. Is there something else that you want to add before we bring this conversation to a close that makes this whole and complete for you now? So I guess as I was thinking about our conversation today, there's a poem that came to mind for me that I read. It's by a guy named Bruce Wilmer. 
And I read this poem. I went to an all girls high school as my senior year of high school. And we, I think it was during one of our graduation type ceremonies. And I read this poem. I would just like to, please. I've memorized most of it because I still remember it from 20 years ago. But of course you did because you were in such a performance reality <laughs> then that your whole existence was based on you perfectly memorizing the poem, Rachel. <laughs> so here it is it's called Be Yourself. Okay. The world would like to change you. There are pressures all around. You must decide just who you are, then firmly hold your ground. You have an image of yourself, an ideal sense of you. And to this vision, you must always struggle to be true. You know what you are good at, and you know where talents lie. But if you're ruled by others, your uniqueness could pass by. Remember, there is much to learn, but all new things aren't good. Wisdom lies in what we've learned and what we have withstood. So be yourself and don't allow the world to take control. Preserving your identity is life's most precious goal. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us today. For people that want to start a different kind of conversation with you or continue this conversation, go, wow, okay, help me down this road, Rachel. Where do they connect with you at? So, well, where we first connected, so LinkedIn, um, very active on LinkedIn. And then also on Instagram at Unmuted Life, U-N-M-U-T-E-D Life. And then my website is unmutedlife.com. So those would be the three places I would say to connect. Right. Rachel, thanks again so much for joining. And I'm excited to share this conversation. And I'm excited how this is going to impact people. And wow, thank you. Thank you for having me. I loved it. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to pause a moment and let this conversation soak in. I hope you love and enjoy it almost as much as I do when a conversation finds a groove or direction and catches its own wind. You know, when that happens, at that point, I'm simply trying to follow the flow of the conversation, and I loved when that happened in this conversation with Rachel. We both sensed it. I hope you did as well. So a couple of reflections. Maybe you can relate to both Rachel and me And you've been on the hustle and grind treadmill since you got your first gold star in kindergarten. Or maybe it started sometime much later in life for you. Whenever it started, you find yourself still on that treadmill trying to check the next box, achieve the next milestone, believing that when you do, all will be well. But it's not. As Rachel discovered, sooner or later, it leads to burnout in some form or fashion. This idea that my acceptance, your acceptance, results from performance and achievement is often what keeps us committed to the hustle and grind because we want to belong. And we've been sold the line, eh, let me say the lie, that belonging is the reward for achievement. Whereas Dr. Emil Brunner, in what he called the cycle of grace, believes belonging is a birthright. I hope to have that image to share with you in the show notes when this goes live. I'm pretty sure 
I'm definitely sure we'll be continuing this conversation in future episodes. That belonging is where we start, and it creates our understanding of identity that leads to significance and allows us to achieve rather than trying to work our way to belonging through our achievement. Well, I'd love to hear what parts of this conversation resonated with you and continue to resound in your heart or mind. Let me know by emailing me, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, or you can call or text me, 678-744-5111. I'm continuing to host Decade of Difference Conversations. You can go to kevindemonroe.com slash decade to schedule one. Until we connect again, and you know I hope it's sooner rather than later, I want to encourage you to continue your journey on the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. It's making a difference, and you are a difference maker.